Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. ARCHICAD is the official BIM software of the Entree Architect community. ARCHICAD BIM software enables design, collaboration, visualization, and project delivery no matter the project size or complexity. With flexible licensing options and a dedicated support team to guide us along the way, ARCHICAD is an ideal choice for firms and projects of any size. I encourage you to reach out and talk to the folks at Graphisoft by visiting our own dedicated webpage at graphisoft.com slash US slash Entree Architect. There's even an exclusive special offer waiting for our Entree Architect community. Go now to graphisoft.com slash US slash Entree Architect and see how Graphisoft is positioned to help make your architecture firm a success. That's graphisoft.com slash US slash Entree Architect. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. John Patrick Winberry, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Mark, thanks so much for having me. John Patrick Winberry is the founding partner and architect at The Up Studio an architecture, interior, and brand design studio in New York City, specializing in contemporary design. John's approach to architecture balances theory and approachability, comfortably guiding the client to an understanding of complex design theories. He is particularly drawn to simplicity and duality in design, using minimalist designs to maximize solutions across projects, 
all while trying to bring joy and fun to the process. If you've, if you've seen anything that the up studio has been doing, that's it. That's, that's the up studio. You should go to theupstudio.com as a website. Um, alongside the architectural practice, John has lectured at the AIA architectural record and at New York Institute of Technology. He's also been an active design critic for multiple schools of architecture. Um, he's recently done a, a, a video session with us at Entre Architect, uh, and he's building a fantastic studio, an interesting studio at the Up Studio, doing multidisciplinary design, multidisciplinary design, doing architecture, interior, and brand design, um, which fascinates me. I love that. Uh, I love what you're building. Very unique and very clearly differentiated from other studios. Welcome, John. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks again, Mark. Um, when did the studio start? So we're coming up on uh, 13 years uh, right now. So that seems crazy to say that out loud. Um, obviously, you know, you know, having a, a firm for, for many years, it's just the time just starts to kind of yeah. <laughs> go by there. But yeah, 13 years, it's, it's amazing to be kind of rocking and rolling still. Yeah, it's amazing. So we're, I want to talk about the Up Studio. You've built a very unique uh, design studio there with architecture, interior and brand design, lots of graphic design. Um, and and doing it in a very unique way. Uh, and I want to understand how you started it, how you built it, maybe some of the the uh, the hurdles that you had to clear in order to sort of get it to where it is today. Um, so I want to dive deep into the Up Studio. But before that, I want to dive deep into your story. I want to understand your origin story. Um, you, John, how did you discover your passion for architecture maybe maybe what inspired you or who inspired you to uh, to become an architect and share that story to where we are today yeah uh i mean mark how far back do we want to go here it, go it's back as, as far <laughs> as you want to go back i mean here here's you know there was a recent uh, uh an old neighbor of ours uh told me something which i thought was was very very interesting which i don't remember but she said when i was about 10 or 11 years old I told her that I wanted to design a building where the entire neighborhood, our, our, where I grew up, everyone could have their own floor and it would be hundreds of stories and every family would have their own floor so we could always be together. Um, and I just thought, I mean, it, it kind of like shook me a little. I mean, because I, I never, you know, my, my family, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm the youngest of seven children. Um, and design just was never part of the conversation. You know, we are, it was a working class family, uh, uh, an Irish Italian family. That's a very kind of uh, uh, typical thing for, for where I was in the, in the Northeast where we grew up uh, in New York. And uh, when she said that to me, I said, oh, it's, it's interesting that in our, my DNA, I guess it was, it was there, but it was never really untapped until um, high school. There was, a, there was a teacher there that saw I had some technical abilities um, and uh, allowed me to take uh, a CAD class like on the side, essentially um, independent study. And I could just make my own course and, and start to just learn the software. I was interested in technology and, and what that actually meant. Um, so it was like AutoCAD 11 or 12 back then. And it was... Who was the teacher? What was, what was the name of the teacher? Do you remember? Oh, I think Mr. Rudinelli was his name. Um, what, what was his class? What did he... It was like a... Yeah, it was like a, a technology class. It was like um um like a shop, a shop technology. Yeah. Yep. So uh, it was like building and stuff like that. 
uh, and he allowed me to, so I took one course with that. So I was building all these things. And then the other course was just like, go study some technical things. I think you may, I don't know, it, you may like architecture. I didn't know what architecture was at all. And I, I graduated high school and a bunch of my friends went off to college. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And college wasn't a thing in my family. It was not like a mandatory yeah. uh, aspect. So I took, um, you know, some time to kind of figure out where I was. And I ended up landing at an architecture firm because I just wanted to see what that was like, to see if that was some something of interest. And I was working for this firm for about a year. Um, and my now business partner was working there as well. And I remember he came in one day and we were just doing large family homes, you know, just traditional large homes. Uh, but he came in one day with like a little model, just looked like a piece of sculpture. And I was so intrigued by what that was. And I, I, in my back of my head, I didn't even say anything to him. But I remember thinking like, he's studying architecture. Why is he like, what is this form thing that he's looking at? It looked just like an abstract piece of art. Um, and then um, him and I, uh, my partner Adam and I snuck into a famous house that was by our studio, right by Richard Meyer. It was being renovated. It was one of his first houses. And we snuck in. I remember going up to the front door. We were 18 or 19 years old. And we went up to the front door. There was a form in there. And I said, we were the architects. Uh, <laughs> and that dude could have just let us go, right? He could have just been like later, you know, but he was very kind. He knew obviously that we weren't but knew that we were interested uh, and he let us in. And I always get kind of like goosebumps when I tell this story because we, we split up through the house and uh, if this particular house that uh, uh, Richard Meyer designed is there was no steps in the house, it was all ramps. So all these ramps brought you to like all these different levels. I had never seen anything like that. And I was on a series of ramps. And as I was going up, the sun was kind of like coming through this like one glazed when uh, this glazed wall and the sun hit me and like I was on a ramp. It was just like this magical <laughs> moment. And it it kind of came to me that like this firm or this person thought about my path through the architecture. And it just like overnight shifted my entire perspective on what architecture could be and and almost like the power of it and, and how it could kind of, uh, I don't know, just change perception. It was really moving to me. So uh, almost like immediately after I ended up enrolling into architecture school um, and I studied at NYIT, uh, New York Institute of Technology out in, there's a, there's a New York City campus and an old Westbury campus out yeah. on Long Island. And I studied out there. Um, and it was just, I don't know, it, it just, it just fired me up in a way that and I, you know, and to this day, I'm, you know, I think we're still, I'm still always going back to that moment of like, we want to, I want to give our families that experience that I had that day uh, and, and try to kind of be that thoughtful in our architecture. Yeah. What a great story. <laughs> it was fun. It was cool. Yeah. So you, so you, uh, to have an experience as an 18 year old in a Richard Meyer house that you're not supposed to be in is pretty exciting as well. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to do that today. Sure. Uh, so, so, uh, you went to NJ, uh, NYIT out in Long Island and, um, and what did you do after you graduated? So, um, one of my partners, Adam want the, who I was talking about was working at a firm. Um, and, uh, we ended up, uh, working together there for a, a bit. Um, and uh, that uh, that architect uh, Donley H. Murray, 
who had passed away a couple of years ago, uh, but at the time just didn't have anyone to hand the firm down to. So most of my friends from school went to Gensler or KPF or, you know, any odd, a lot of the big firms in New York City. Yeah. And we had that opportunity, but this architect was like, hey, if you want to come in, you know, and, and just take it over, you can. I mean, we were so young and so naive. We're like, sure, let's, <laughs> let's do it. I, you know, and that experience um, was amazing because it was very rocky, obviously. And it was it, for so a couple of years, we just took over his firm and we're trying to run it, but it wasn't who we were or what yeah. we wanted to do. What kind of work did the firm do? Um, mostly residential, uh, very traditional, uh, work. Um, and again, it just, it was interesting as more of like a client understanding of like how, how to navigate that experience of dealing with clients and kind of understanding how to kind of funnel them into certain directions. And, uh, we, we learned a lot, just, you know, feet on fire and just in, in the midst of all the drama, we were just learning as we go. Um, but we realized that that wasn't what we wanted to do. So um, we pivoted and I just was like, let's start a firm, uh, essentially like a sister company. Um, and rather than do competitions, like most most firms were doing at the time to get work, uh, let's pitch our traditional clients uh, like a modern twist on it. Uh, and it took many years to have one person convinced that that was the way to go. But that first project just set us off because essentially it proved that there was a an appetite for what we were trying to do, uh, which was very progressive for the area that we were working in and uh, very jarring for a lot of people, which is stuff that we like to do is kind of, uh, you know, shake things up a little. Uh, and so uh, that was my partner, Adam Monticelia, and we were working with uh, another partner of mine now, Jeffrey Ramirez. Uh, you bring up our brand design and our and our graphics. Um, Jeffrey came in uh, almost instantaneously, and we connected on this idea that uh, as architects, we are horrible visual uh, representational people. It sounds like uh, we should be, but we're we're just not. And I, I have a theory on this if you, if you want to hear it, which essentially yeah. is like when we go to architecture school, it's a very solo endeavor. There might be one or two studios that you actually will collaborate, but for the most part, for right. four or five years, depending on what your program is, you're essentially like in a bunker by yourself. And at the end of that semester, you're pinning up every single piece of thing that you've done, almost like a badge of honor for, for your professor, right? Like, look what I've done to get to this. Look at my hero's journey, right? To, to, right. to, to solve this complex problem that you put forth to us. And what I feel is a lot of architects actually do that today. Um, still, I see it all the time. And we were doing it very early on. Um, and then we met Jeff through a, through a friend uh, and he instantly was like, your presentation style is uh, just outlandish. <laughs> it was, he studied in Pratt uh, and it was just a very, kind of simplistic way of thinking about showing our work. And he was like, what's the point? Like, what are you, what are we trying to say with this design? And let's just show that. And that was like another like major milestone for our studio in the first couple of years of like editing down our work to be like super hyper-focused to, to kind of what we wanted to kind of get forth to the client. So you talked about um, 
taking over that firm. And then when you decided that that wasn't the direction you wanted to go, you said you, you started a new company, a sister yeah. company. Yep. And, and so explain that to me. So you were running two separate companies and. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, now, now that we have some great exposure with the up studio, it's, it's like, we're, we're fine. Like back then we were, it's not like we were hiding it. It's just essentially the team of people that we had in our studio worked on whatever project came in, but it then got branded under whatever company it was actually like, quote unquote, like representing. So right. like I said, for many years, we tried to get work approved uh, for the up studio and just clients were not buying what we were uh, trying to pitch. Um, but then once it started happening, we would just brand that through the up studio website. Um, and, and, uh, but yeah, essentially we were running two companies for, for many years. Um, and that was, it sounds like it was because you wanted to have two separate brands. You wanted to have one brand that's sort of focused on this more traditional work that you've been doing or that firm had been known for and that you consciously took a choice and started another company in order to build a second brand that was a more modern brand so it didn't dilute the first brand. Is that essentially what happened? Exactly. Yeah. The idea being that like our clients that wanted a traditional thing didn't want to know that we did glass boxes and right. then our modern clients that wanted a glass box yeah. did not, you know, and honestly, we were modern, you know, that's how we were taught. It was just, um, so it felt almost like intuitive to kind of split them. Um, and it was difficult, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's just, it, you know, uh, at one point, you know, we just essentially had like two LLCs and then we were just like, well, this is kind of crazy. And then, so like we actually merged them and they're doing like a, a doing business as type of thing. So, and it, it, it worked and it, it, it allowed us almost like the freedom not to rush the up studio. We, we had this like early growth that we could like slowly build, um, because essentially the other firm was almost like funding us to go. Just like if yeah. someone goes for a competition, we just said, instead of doing competitions, we're just going to like focus on trying to build the, build the up studio to see if we can actually get it there. Yeah. And so what happened to the other firm? Because today it's the up studio. Yeah. I mean, the firm is, is, is there, it's, you know, it's honestly, it, it, uh, I mean, maybe it's last project was four or five years ago. Uh, it's just not, you know, it's not really active. Um, it's, it's available. Uh, uh, we have, a one of our, uh, project leaders, uh, if a project comes in, he'll, he'll run that project for us. Um, he's, you know, very versed in, in that aesthetic. Um, but again, I, I don't, it doesn't really ever come up anymore, which right. is yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah. So, so you've essentially gone all in on the up studio and that's, that's your brand. You still have the other brand, but it's there just in case you need it. Exactly. Um, so you don't have to turn work away. If you wanted to take a project that wasn't, you know, didn't resonate with the up studio brand, you could right. use that other brand to, to service that client. Yeah. Uh, very it's interesting. interesting. You say it when, when you said it like that, it was, it was pretty funny. I remember, and I, I don't remember, it was one of the really big firms in the city they had essentially like a secondary company that was just doing like strip malls that they would never tell anybody. And yeah. like, that always seemed so like crazy to me. Like what, what, why would a firm that's so established need to do that? But like, here's the reality, you know, we're all running studios and there's essentially, um, there's a, just a, a math game at, at, you know, at a certain point that you have to be very, very cognizant of uh, that took us many years to, to kind of embrace or understand 
Uh, and we're still learning about that today, even, you know, 13, yeah. 14 years in. But um, yeah, so I, I do think it, it, it again, I, I always think about it as it, it almost allowed us to grow in a very, very kind of meaningful way. And we could be very, very slow in, in that process, which was which was really, really helpful early on. Yeah. I and mean, one of the things we teach at Entree Architect is that you need to find your target market, right? Your ideal client. Sure. Um, and so by having one brand that services one ideal client, right? Because the ideal client for a traditional large modern home or a traditional home is very different than a client who wants a glass modern home, right? And so that, and and if you try to mix them, right, then you dilute both brands and both brands lose, right? And so by by splitting off the Up Studio as a separate brand and a separate company, in your case, um, you can focus all in on the, the the design of modern architecture and interiors and attract that client when they hit the Up Studio website. It's very clear what you do, um, and you know you you resonate with the client that's looking for that type of work. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. And again, it's been 13 years of all in and kind of just and running and just having a blast. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by RCAT.com. Can't find the product data that you're looking for? You might be using the wrong search engine. Broad searches result in consumer products out-of-date information, and websites that hide or don't have the information that you're looking for. If you need specifications, CAD, or BIM, RCAT.com is your search engine. Find and download the up-to-date data that you need fast. RCAT.com is free and requires no registration. So try RCAT today. That's A-R-C-A-T dot Please visit our sponsors today and thank them. Thank them for supporting you the Entree Architect community. Let's go back to, to the beginning of when you started building the Up Studio and it, and it started gaining traction and you realized, oh, this is where we're going. We're going all in on this brand. We have enough projects that, that enough clients who want the work that we do. Um, where'd you go from there? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um... What we found early on was uh, it was interesting as these new clients were coming in and, and wanting to kind of be progressive in, in the way that we were thinking about our designs and trying to push the limits. But internally, we felt um, it felt pretty chaotic, right? It was just there's a lot of noise that happens in architecture. There's a lot of outside influences that can happen. Um, so internally, we felt like Let's build a system and take a more systematic approach to our designs. Uh, so we we internally built this idea that any project that comes in has to meet these three major parameters. The first being environmental. Um, so we're really passionate about sustainability and passive design and what that means. Also, in, in that context, is like there's a massive ball of fire in the sky, and we want to harness that in our architecture. So if you look at our work, you'll notice that like or all four facades, if there are four, are usually radically different. The sun is just doing something different throughout the day. So we want our architecture to react to that. Then the second bucket is our client um, constraints. So that's their, their budget, their time frame, and their program. And then finally, the third is our concepts. 
I would say that age taught us that like when we first started the Up Studio, it was all concept, meaning like we let that go above everything. And I think that's just like the yeah. youth, youthfulness of design, right? So design like, above all. Exactly. It's going to get through. Don't worry about the budget. Don't worry about the zoning. Don't worry about anything. Like the design will save it. But like, you know, age has taught us that compromise is king. And actually the work that gets the most published for us is is done in the systematic approach where essentially not one of those buckets should go higher than the other. And when all three of those are equal at the end, that's the stuff that's super resonating with people and really, really, you know, the stuff that wins awards for us and stuff. So again, I think that's like a great lesson for us early on that like we needed that system. We needed those guardrails because like, you know, knowing the client's budget or knowing that, you know, there's a zoning parameter that we have to overlay onto our design you know, like no zoning board's going to approve it because they think it's going to win like, you know, like an Archie award or something. It's like, they don't, they don't care. They're just like, does it meet your zoning criteria? And so it's like, you know, that taught us a lot about this idea of like, just use that parameter as like, almost like a design principle. Like it's like, it's there and use it as a way to kind of fight yourself to kind of solve the solution inside of, inside of those. So that happens on the on the internal side, and then on the external side. Before you, before you do yeah. external, can you repeat Please. those three those three things that you you filter yeah. the project through again? Yep. So first is uh, environmental consideration. So that's um, uh, again like the passive aspect yeah. of architecture. Then it's our client constraints. So that's just like their program budget and time frame. And then third is our concepts. Got it. Yeah. So those three really become the the kind of guiding principles and internally as a studio will you know one of them will start to take a little too much of a lead and we'll have to you know kind of circle ourselves back and and rally behind the other two and try to kind of level those out um and that's a constant kind of give and take and again it's just like age right it's like it's that push and pull which i think yeah. is, is really interesting for design um, so when, when you say internally you're focused on these three things so so when you're looking at a potential project you're evaluating it based on these these parameters, and then yeah. as you develop it, you're also making sure that one is not dominating the other. Exactly. We just want to make sure that, like, uh, I think early on, uh, we were obsessed with the idea of a cantilever and like the power of what that meant in architecture, like removing kind of the base and letting these objects kind of just like float in the air. It's really beautiful, and there's a poetry to that. But the reality is, is there's a very very uh, there's a very, very uh, significant effect on budget with that single move, right? One That one move over anything. Yeah. Um, and if there was this idea of this like poetry of this kind of volume extruding out, kind of living above, above the land and all of that stuff, that's really beautiful. And, and we want that narrative to be there. However, if the client can't afford it, then it's not, a, it's not something to show them because the client's going to fall in love with it. They always do. Right. And then we have to deliver the news of like, oh, you can't afford it. So, right. Like that's not, uh, we, we ran through a lot of those early on in our, in our career of like showing people things that they couldn't afford. Uh, and by the way, we're still, you know, to be frank, we're still struggling with budgets, you know, just like every firm, but I, sure. I think we've gotten a, a, a way better handle on it now. So before I interrupted you, you were headed into external. So- yeah. I think it's interesting the way that we think about duality even in our designs, but then internally. So essentially, 
we create these like design systems for our studio that we have to solve. So one of them was that internal system, like, hey, everything's going off the rails. Like, how do we focus ourselves? And it's like, okay, these three parameters can actually be our North Star on almost every project. But then what Jeffrey taught us was that, and again, I think this is like the clarity that Adam and I needed. Jeffrey teaches us, like, be very precise in how we show our work and be very curated in, in the way that we describe what we're doing. So essentially, we created something called clarity of design, and that's our distribution to our clients. That's our client-facing presentation. So essentially, it takes the home design process and divides it into 15 to 20 meetings throughout the life of the, pro, uh, the design. Um, and what we're looking for is just delivering the very basic needs of that day. So early on, we do not show renderings. We don't show floor plans. We don't show any of that. We are very, very precise in the, in, the, in the information that we give our clients. Essentially, we want to feed them the information that they need at that moment because every client can get lost. We can get lost as well, right? Anyone yeah. can. So if we can guide that process and be very precise in what we're looking for, one, it empowers our team because the team then gets the information they need to keep the momentum on the project. And the client takes ownership. They almost become empowered by this, uh, this, this way of representing our work. Um, and they fall in love with the why of what we're doing. And it becomes um, this amazing partnership uh, in, in the design uh, process. So the, from the client side, that system has been you know, so powerful in us uh, convincing clients to kind of do the work that we're trying to get done. I, I love the idea of providing only the information that the client needs at that moment. Yeah. Right. So they don't get overwhelmed. They don't, they don't get distracted. They see exactly what you're presenting and only what you're presenting and can make a decision on that one decision, which I'm assuming probably also helps the, the decision process and expedites the, the completion of a project. It does. It's the, the goal being like, uh, if we're doing a, a family home for somebody, for a client, I don't want them asking where the laundry room is on day one. I promise you, we're going to get there. We'll get you all the parts. That's our job. We'll make sure it's there. But first, let's take a step back and like look at the, the real macro understanding of your property. What's the big ball of fire doing? Are there any special views on your property? You know, how are we being sensitive to our the environment? How is the architecture embedding itself into the landscape? You know, those type of things are very like pie in the sky conversation. So I want the client to focus on that and just that on day one. And then we walk them step by step through that, through that information. And it's a constantly evolving system where we're getting better at uh, kind of seeing, oh, like on, you know, on presentation seven, we actually are, we're giving a little too much. Let's pull back a little, or we're not giving enough. Like we need to give them a little more information because we're getting a log jam, you know, during the you know, the DD process or something. So it's, it's kind of cool to like watch it as a, like, almost like an evolving design uh, problem just in itself. You know, uh, I think that's a really fun way to think about it. As you talk about that, I'm, I'm asking myself, is that system a cultural system or is it a documented system? Is it something that you've actually um, put to a document and said, this is what we're going to do and how we're going to do it when we're presenting to clients? Or is it more of a cultural this is how we do things here. I think it's a little of both. It's 100% documented. We're, we're like, we want the team, the team is growing. So new members that are coming in, 
this is how we present our work. This is how we kind of think about the path of the project. Um, and now as we grow, different team members are presenting to clients, which is, you know, um, I would say Adam, Jeff, and myself are, uh, for better or worse, we're, we're, we're very controlling in, in our, our thought process, yeah, you know, as, so, as most architects are. Exactly. It's so a very, that, it's a very big decision to allow a, a team member to present to a client. Yeah. So, um, as, as it's evolved, it, you know, that's had to happen. It's just the, the nature right. of, of the game, um, as you grow. So, um, they've kind of fallen, the team is kind of like, I think it also, it just helps everyone because essentially it's like, you don't have to go in here and memorize all the, like, just follow the slides that we're building, just follow the narrative and just coach the client through this narrative. This is, this is it. So um, I've watched team members struggle early on and then just like grow into it. Yeah. And they're like champions now on, on some of this stuff. And it's like, we're, you know, we're sitting back and just watching them evolve it and get it, make it better and make it stronger. So it's, it's really, it's really a fun kind of thing to watch uh, grow on itself. That's the power of a system, right? Yeah. Is that, is that you figure out how to do it, right? You experiment things fail, things succeed. You focus on the things that succeed, keep doing better, keep documenting what works, keep documenting what works, adjust it, right? And then eventually you'll have a system. And then once you have a system, then you introduce that system to other team members and say, this is how we do it, right? Yeah. And then if there's a learning process through the, the team member learning that system, but once they learn it, it's a beautiful thing, right? It's It takes the weight off your shoulders because you know you can trust the system that it works, right? And as long as you run the system the way it's designed uh, with the cultural side, right? With the understanding of how we do things here, um, then it, it, it flows and it succeeds. Yeah, it's interesting too. What we found is it works on all scales, which is kind of, I mean, we thought it could, but like we're doing a, like a 600 square foot cabin in upstate New York right now. And we just finished a, essentially like a 20,000 square foot family compound in Florida. And we use the same exact delivery yeah. system to the client. Huh. And it's just like magic. I can't, you know, so I think that's something that we're really proud of um, and, and, and making sure that the team kind of falls in, in love with it, but really like the client experience, like removing the friction and just like letting them kind of embrace it, embrace it is, has been really, really exciting for us. Yeah, doc, you know, systemizing and documenting the client experience is so important and it's it's only getting more important, right? As as machine machines come come our way and start doing more of the work that we do and and uh, uh AI starts doing things that architects have traditionally done, it's that client experience that's going to differentiate us and make us more successful as architects. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting to kind of see, you know, we're all part of this. We're at like the, you know, step one and it's going to go step 100, obviously. Oh, it, yeah. It's quick, boy. So, uh, yeah, I do think um, Jeff from our team is, is a really big proponent about talking about the client experience and, and, and really championing that it's joyful and there's fun in the process. We're, you know, we're kind of quirky group and we you know, we want to, we want that energy to come out in what we're doing and, and kind of, and every aspect of our, of our projects. Yeah. And not only do you have, you end up with great projects, you have end up with very happy clients who want to refer you and talk about you every chance they get. 
yeah, that's uh, that's always good, right? You know, build that, you know, kind of plant that tree and just and, and let it go out there uh, with yeah. our clients. So yeah, it's awesome to watch. So what does the future of the Up Studio look like? Where are you going in the next three to five years? I think um, from our studio's perspective, we're we're extremely interested in taking our designs to this next level and 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 trying to push the limit of how far we can take our projects. I think. Um, I hope none of my clients listen to, I mean, you know, every, every architect knows though, that like every, the way I think about it essentially is that every project is a building block because like, it's never going to be the last one. And it's a a learning thing. Like, and, and in every single project we learn, oh, like that reveal detail actually is the way that we did it. And we did it wrong on three projects, but going forward, like this detail is so beautiful. Like, and it really resonates the materiality of the interiors and, we have a director of interiors, uh, Julia Trelletti, and she, you know, preaches this idea of materiality in our projects and like, how are they joining? How are they meeting? How are we resolving those transitions, which are always so difficult? Um, and I just think like, from our perspective, we're at a point in our studio's life that like, we have these clients that are allowing us to push further than we've ever been able to push before. And we want to use technology, we want to use you know, thoughtfulness in all of our designs and to see if we can kind of break through, um, I don't know, this, you know, it's a, it's a, it's just a boundary that we're putting on ourselves, but like essentially break through to this next level of design and really, and really try to create some special, special pieces of architecture. Well, those constraints seem to do well for you in the past, they've worked. And so adding some constraints to your future certainly makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's our goal. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 great to watch you grow. Um, the studio, the website is beautiful. The work that you do is beautiful. Um, you should go check it out. It's theupstudio.com is the website. Um, John, before we wrap things up here, I want to ask you this one important question that I ask everybody. Um, our audience is primarily uh, small firm business owner architects. And I asked the question is, what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, uh, a tricky question, but I think my answer is unequivocally, I don't know if I said that right, but my, my answer is this, immediately find, if you don't understand business, which most architects do not, and my, myself and my two partners did not. We actually reached out to you very, you know, midway through our growth as a studio. And we were having, from an outside perspective, we were having a ton of success. But the, you know, the back of house, right behind the curtain, yeah. the, the running of the company was still just a mess. Just like we didn't know what we were doing. We just, you just don't know what you don't know. That's, it's like that simple. So um, I would recommend um, every single firm to have either a business coach or, partnered with a business opportunity that is showing you the bones behind how to run a company because we we none of us know it none of us know you know that we should be charging additional services for our for our work because the client has constant scope creep and you're like you can't because you're so intimate and you don't want to break that it's it's a business transaction right, right. in the end of the day you're running a business you have to pay your team well you have to give them a good experience so they don't have burnout so you don't have burnout so finding a coach of some sort, whether again, that's through a company, uh, which we've explored a couple of them, um, or 
your system helped us out early on. Um, that was monumental in the in the shift in our studio, because we were we were hitting burnout. We were working like ninety hour weeks, and at the end of the year, there was just like nothing left. And we're like, "What? How is this possible?" Right? Like we're winning awards, and like how you know, and it just it comes down to it. Like we just weren't running the company correctly. We didn't know how to do our fee structures. We had no idea what our um, how many hours it took us to complete our work. We had just like all the basic basic things. Uh, so that has radically shifted our studio along. It allows us to design more too. I think actually we're, we're heavily design focused. You know, I don't think there's, uh, that's who we are and we're always going to be like that. So we had this like early um, resistance to this, like, you know, we're, but we're right. a design firm, right? Like uh, design firms don't worry about that stuff. It's yeah. art, which is the most naive thing ever. And the amount of money that we left on the table to be as candid as possible is just, it's actually sickening. But what it taught me early, early on was this is a design problem in itself, right? Like running the business while no one wants to talk about it. There is some really sexy design things that you have to like figure out. And it's like a cool design problem that we essentially just like rolled up our sleeves and on year six. And we're like, okay, well we either figure this out or, you know, we're all going to go work at Gensler or something and let's see if we can do it. And we did it. And that's like, that is a very, very powerful thing. So that would be my my single piece of advice is find somebody to help you understand the bones of running a company from the basics, like the bare bones. And I wish I had that on day one and, and I didn't, but that would have been, you know, a really, really big shift in our studio if we had that. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And and I'm glad that Entree Architect is a part of your story. It is. Um, I appreciate you bringing that up. It, 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 it is, that's the thing that keeps me going, right? When I see a firm like the Up Studio and where you are today, and knowing that we had a little part in that, uh, it's Im immensely fulfilling, uh, is fuel for me to continue doing what I'm doing. And uh, I, am, I am very grateful that, uh, that you found us, you know, because it, that's the mission, right? yeah. is, to, is to help architects find that um, and and the Up Studio is a perfect example of my mantra: profit then art, right? Yeah. Focus on the business, build a strong business with systems that work, and you know let all of that stuff happen. And then when it does happen, right, you have these these systems in place, and you've built a strong, thriving business. Then you get to play, and you get to design these amazing projects like you do at the at the Up Studio. Um, it's a perfect example of that, and so. Uh, I'm really happy that you came by here and uh, and shared your experience, shared your systems, um, and inspired some listeners. I appreciate you. Awesome, Mark. Thank you so much. And uh, from the entire team at the Up Studio, we, we, we greatly appreciate it. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure. Thanks for coming by and sharing your, your knowledge at Entree Architect Podcast. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, share a link with a friend. That's how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands of architects just like you. Please share a rating, write a review, share a link to this episode with a friend. I'd appreciate it. Links to all our sponsors and all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. It's the network dedicated to architects, engineers, and construction pros. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at Gable Media at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Go check it out. We have, I think, 
13 podcasts over there now, gablemedia.com. And before we wrap up, a special thank you to our partners at Graphisoft for helping our community of architects make the transition to BIM with ARCHICAD software. Go now to graphisoft.com slash US slash Entree Architect and see how Graphisoft is positioning to help make your architecture firm a success. Visit graphisoft.com slash US slash Entree Architect to learn more. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arla Page. Love, learn, and go share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. 
<laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.